Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. So we're going to continue in this series we have titled Glory, a word that as we heard from Pastor Don and Pastor Tim the last few weeks is used to describe God's glory. And that word evokes emotions in our minds when we hear that word mentioned, right? When you hear the word God's glory, how many of you here today, these images come to your mind? Uh, take a look at these images. You know, and you wouldn't be wrong by, by looking at those things and visualizing that as God's glory. After all, that's what the scripture says, tells us, right? And in Psalm, it says that heavens proclaim the glory of God, that the sky displays his craftsmanship. But as beautiful as these images are, they don't do an accurately description of who God really is. And that's what we're trying to do in this series that we titled Glory, because we want us to see God for who really said he says he is, not for who we think he is, but who he says he is. We must know God, who, as Pastor Don told us last week, uh, we must know who God is because our image of, or idea of God determines the way we see God and how we relate to God. And that's important. We need to make sure we know who God is, who he wants us to know he is. I heard a story of a man that bought a parrot, and he brought it home. And as they walk in the door, the parrot got all nasty and started getting all these things and insulting the man, saying all these nasty things. And the man grabbed the parrot and threw it in the freezer, teach him a lesson. He heard the bird making noises in there and going crazy, and after a few minutes, it got quiet. Then the man goes in there and opens the door, and the parrot walks out, and he goes, I want to apologize for the way I behave. I truly ask for your forgiveness. And the man says, well, thank you. I forgive you. And then the parrot says, I hope you don't mind me asking, but what did that chicken do? (laughs) See, sometimes we have the wrong idea of God, right? Some of us think of God as some grandpa-like deity who is sitting far away somewhere waiting for us to do something wrong so he can discipline us or punish us, right? Like that man with the parrot. And therefore, our relationship with God is affected because of the way we think of him and the way we see him. And in this series, we're looking at the text from the Old Testament in Exodus 34. If you have your Bible, if you want to go there, we're going to be there in a few minutes. So Exodus 34, going to be chapters 34, uh, chapters, I'm sorry, verses 5 and 7. And we learn some of God's unique attributes revealed to Moses but God himself. This is the beauty of this text. This isn't Paul telling us who God is. This isn't us making up who God is. This is God saying, this is who I am. And today I want to explore the profound and unending grace of God's forgiveness as revealed in this text. The passage found in the, earth, in the heart of the Old Testament offers a glimpse of the nature of our great, gracious God and our forgiving God. 
And my prayer today is that by the end of today, when we go home, we leave here with a new and really clear idea, a vision of who God really is. Not the God that maybe we thought before we walked in here, maybe the God we've been thinking of he is, but the God who wants us, he wants us, he's the one he reveals to us who he is. And as a result of that, we can truly enjoy his forgiveness. You know, the passage echoes throughout the Bible, demonstrating God's forgiveness is not confined only to a specific era or, or people. Instead, it transcends time and extends to all who seek his mercy. So let us begin by reading the verses that encapsulate this essence of God, the forgiveness of who he is, the God of forgiveness. Exodus 34 starts in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his name, his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passes in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to thousands of generations. I, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children, in the third and fourth generation. Now, this passage not only uh, showcases the awe-inspiring nature of God, but also lays bare the essential aspect of his character, forgiveness. So let us reflect on the aspect of his being and understand the profound implications of God's forgiveness for our lives today. So today I want to highlight two crucial aspects of God's forgiveness found in these verses. And the first thing I want to highlight is that God's forgiveness is rooted in his nature. God's forgiveness is rooted in his nature. The passage begins with the Lord descending in a cloud and revealing himself to Moses. As he proclaims his name, he defines himself profoundly. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So we must understand that God's forgiveness is not merely a divine action, but a fundamental aspect of God's character. His compassion, his compassion, his gracious, his slow to anger, filled with love and faithfulness. You know, Pastor Don and Pastor Tim have been teaching about these uh, characters of God for the last few weeks. If you missed any of those, please go to the website and listen to those messages because they will help us understand who God really is, who he wants us to know, how he wants us to know him. Again, he doesn't want us to know for who we think he is. He's revealing himself to us in the scriptures, and he wants us to have a clear understanding of who God, who he is. But let me recap the vital elements of these attributes that we have learned so far. We learned that God is compassionate. That means that God's deeply, he deeply cares for his creation. He is not indifferent to our suffering, our failures, or a need for forgiveness. His attitude is amplified by his willingness to forgive us, even though we don't deserve it. God is always wanting to forgive. Sometimes we don't see it that way, we don't think about it that way, but that's who God is, compassionate. And the essence of his compassion lies in the desire for, to forgive us, despite our shortcomings. 
doesn't matter what we do. God loves us, and he's compassionate towards us. God is merciful. That means he extends his favor and blessing us even when we don't deserve it. And if you're truthful, none of us deserve it, right? We be judging by our own way of judging things. We're not worthy. But God is merciful. The other attribute we learn is that God is slow to anger. He's not quick to punish, but patience and long-suffering. Desire on everybody, every one of us to repent and reconcile with him. He loves our faithfulness are limitless. His forgiveness flows from his unchanging, eternal nature. He's a God of forgiveness. And the second aspect I want, to forg- uh, I want to highlight is that God's forgiveness is all-encompassing. God's forgiveness is all-encompassing. This passage emphasizes that God forgives, extends to a, a broad spectrum of sins. The text says that he forgives inequity, rebellion, rebellion, and sin. This is revealed to God. God's given us the unlimited for us. He's not, his, his forgiveness, I'm sorry, is not limited to, to just the specific sins or, or certain sins or certain things that we do. It says in the text that he forgives inequity, rebellion, and sin. That means to God, sin is a sin. And he forgives, he forgives all sins if we seek him, if we come to him humbly, asking for forgiveness. Now, the verb given here, uh, forgiven, used in this text, nasha, in the original language, means to lift, to carry away, or to take. In other words, the Lord takes the guilt and carries it away from us. He drives away sin. He removes the alienation produced by sin. He restores the right for fellowship with him. And only a gracious God can do that. And that is the God that we worship. That is the God, that's the way he wants us to know him. The psalmist says in Psalm 103 that he removes our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. When you, when you think about it, you, some of us read that and we've probably heard it many times, but we don't believe it, do we? Because there's something in our lives that we want to hold on to. There's something that we have done that we think God is not going to forgive. But he clearly said in his word that he removes our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, interestingly, in this text, there are three classic Old Testament words used to indicate the joint wickedness among human beings. And the first word he uses is iniquity. That's our guilt. That means moral perversity. It refers to something twisted or complicated. It's a distortion. It's a division from the path. It's when we try to go away from what God wants us to do. The other word is rebellion, which is a crime or open transgression against a known truth or an ultimate authority, against the God and his moral authority. And then he uses the word sin, which means missing the mark. Is to fail to be in itself or doing God's will. Is to miss the target of the divine purpose of God for our life. And all of us 
have sinned. So this, it doesn't matter whether it's an equity rebellion or sin. God's forgives, forgiveness is sufficient to cover all of it. But we need to understand that. There is no sin too great to be far away from God's grace or forgiveness. Some of us, again, have believed this lie in our heads that there is something that we have done or we're doing that God is not going to forgive or can't forgive. And he tells in his word, that's not true. He forgives all sins, no matter how big or how small. That means that when we feel unworthy or burdened by our guilt in our darkness moments, we can take solace in the returning to God's forgiveness because it's always available to us, to all of us. His grace is no ration or over, it overflows abundantly to all of us. In Christ, we find redemption, and through his blood, our sins are washed away, making us a new creation in him. God does not remember our sins. Now, let me clarify when I say God doesn't remember our sins, okay? What I'm saying here is that God doesn't hold that over our heads on a daily basis, of course, one day we're going to come in his presence. We're going to have to have that conversation with God. But in the meantime, he's forgiven us. If you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you forget, you've confessed your sins, God has forgiven your sins. He's not going to remember him tomorrow like we do. He's, going to be, he's not going to be holding him back in your head and saying, remember yesterday? Remember? Here you go again. He doesn't do that. I read this story of this priest in the Philippines that had a lady in his church who was very devout. And she said, she came to him and said, you know, I have this real close relationship with God. In fact, he speaks to me in my dreams. The man, of course, was a little hesitant about it. And he says, you know, if you do, next time you talk to him, would you please ask him, what is that sin that I committed while I was in seminary? You see, this guy has something in his heart that he hadn't let go, and he wanted to prove to this lady, he wanted uh, some, kind of, some kind of proof that God had forgiven his sin, but he was holding that in his heart. So he asked this lady, next time you see God comes in your dream, you ask him about my sin. So a couple of days go by, the lady comes back to visit him, and he says, well, did he visit you? Did you talk to him? And the lady says, well, yes, I did. Did you ask him about my sin? And she says, yes, I did. And you go, well, what did he say? He says, God says he doesn't remember. Amen. He doesn't remember. You know what God forgives, he forgets. Again, he doesn't keep it over our head on a daily basis. But we must realize, however, that God's forgiveness is not a free pass for wrongdoing. But instead, it's a path for transformation and reconciliation with him. The consequences of our sins may affect future generations, but the offers of forgiveness and redemption is extended to all who seek God. All of us. So I want us to take away a couple of lessons from this passage. I want to share with you three things that I found. As we reflect on these verses, we can draw several vital lessons that 
illuminate the profound nature of God's forgiveness. And here's the first thing that I see. God's forgiveness is boundless and unconditional. His character is defined by compassion, grace, patience, and love. No matter how far we have strayed away from God or how bad we have sinned, God's forgiveness really is available to all of those who seek him humbly and truly. Like I said, Pastor Tim and Pastor Don have taught about these things, but, you know, it, it is boundless. It's unconditional. God forgives all of our sins, but we need to seek him first. The second thing that I, I take away from this is that God's forgiveness covers all sins. Regardless of the nature or the extent of our sin, God's forgiveness is comprehensive and all-encompassing. It reaches the depth of our guilt and cleanses us from all our wretchedness. So God's forgiveness covers all sins, like I said, all right? So don't think there is white sins or dark sins or white lies, blue, whatever. God forgives all sins. I don't care what we have done, what you have done. I think it was Pastor Don that said it a couple of weeks ago. There isn't, a, there isn't enough that you can do to earn God's love and grace, and there isn't nothing you can do for him not to love you anyway. So God loves us. And he forgives, and all of our sins are forgiven. If you really come to him humbly and ask for forgiveness. Now, the third thing that I take away from this is God's forgiveness is a pathway for transformation. While God's grace is freely given, it is not a license to continue sinning. Instead, it's a catalyst, it's a catalyst to change. As we experience God's forgiveness, we're called to turn away from sin to walk away from that, seek righteousness, and pursue his holiness. Now, this doesn't mean that we are to be perfect, because we're never going to be perfect. There's only one perfect. His name is Jesus Christ. But we can, we can expect or try, envision to be as perfect as he is. If we try, one, to be just like him, one little bit like him every day, Imagine what that would do to the world. Imagine what that would do to your life if we just reflect Jesus one little speck every day. Every day. That should be our goal. Every day to be just a little bit more like Jesus. But sometimes we get frustrated and don't even try because we want to be like him. But we can't be like him completely. Not yet. But we can aspire to be just a little bit like him every day. And if we do that, we can change the world. We can change our families. We can change our lives. And God knows the world needs that, especially right now. So we all at some point struggle with forgiveness, right? Has anybody in the room here ever struggled with forgiveness? Forgiving others, forgiving yourselves? Amen. I think that's all of us. You know, C.S. Lewis says like this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have to, until they have to forgive something. <laughs> right? Everybody thinks it's a great thing. We should. You should. But I can't. 
It's a good thing for you. But it's not a good thing for me. Right? Now, having explored this profound nature of God's forgiveness, revealed in Exodus 34, I want us to consider how we can practically apply these principles to our lives. So here are four things that I think that if we do, if we put them into practice in our lives, we can really enjoy and, and appreciate God's forgiveness the way he wants us to. Not the way we think or the way we forgive, the way God forgives, which is way different than ours. And the first thing I believe that we can do is seek God's forgiveness. He wants to forgive us. But God is a gentleman. He he's not invasive. He's not going to come into your life and force himself upon you. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for us to come to him. And when we do, the Bible says he's standing at the door waiting. If you're knocking on the door, he says, and if you open the door, he'll come in and sit and have dinner with us. So we need to be seeking him. So that's the first, the first step that we got to do. Acknowledge that we have, a sin, that we have sin in our lives. Confess our sins. Repent from our sins. And have God come into our life through Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the things that stops many of us from, from even seeking God is because we don't think that we're worthy of finding forgiveness through him. Repentance simply means, my brothers and sisters, we are going out this way, the wrong way, but now we figure it out. We suffer enough. Enough stuff has happened in our lives, so now we figure it out. We need some help. We can't do it on our own, so we turn the other way, and there is God waiting for us. And we just turn the other way and start walking the other way. And every now and then, we might take a couple of steps back, but he's still there. But many of us think that we, you know, you, you need to come to Christ. Oh, I have to clean my life first. I have to make everything right first. No, you don't. Seek him first. He's waiting. He wants to forgive us. He wants to forgive you. But he's not going to come into it into your life. He want you to seek him. And if you do, he's there to wait. He's just waiting. That's the message that Peter preached on that day of Pentecostal. Acts 2.38, Peter said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, But if, you confess, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our, our wickedness. So if you've never done that before, if you never had that moment where you come to realize, you know, I've struggled in my life, I, I've tried different things, and I just can't do it anymore. We want to offer you today an opportunity at the end of the service to seek God. Come to him. He's waiting for you. So you can confess your sin, repent from your sins, and allow him to transform your life. And you can experience this wonderful character of God, a forgiveness, a true forgiveness. 
Not like the world forgives, but the true forgiveness that can only come from God. And if when you do that, you're not going to be confessing your sins to me or, or an elder or, or a praying partner. That's between you and God. This is the beautiful thing about our relationship with God. We're not preaching a religion. We're preaching a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That he wants so much that he gave up his son to go to the cross to die for us. That's the message of the gospel. But again, God is a gentleman. He's waiting. He must seek him first. And then, if you do that, then we do the second thing. Forgive yourself and forgive others. Forgive yourself and offer forgiveness to others. Boy, I think one of the hardest things for us to do sometimes, I might be the only one in the room, but one of the hardest things for us, some of us to do sometimes is forgive ourselves, isn't it? But I want you to hear this today. If you believe in God, if you call yourself a child of God, you must forgive yourself. We have to. Because if we don't, we can't experience God's forgiveness, really. Because we're thinking that there's something there. There's something back there that's still hanging on our heads that he's not forgiven. That's not what his word says. We need to forgive ourselves. Then we can experience God's forgiveness. And when we do that, then we can forgive others freely. Because much has been forgiven to us. We must extend the same to others, right? All that bitterness, all those things that hurt us, we need to, as far away from the east is from the west. You got to remember, he's not holding that over our heads. We are. We got to let it go. And when it comes to forgiving others, you know, I, it's sad. I, I heard stories of families that have been separated for things that have happened maybe even a couple of generations ago. You know, Uncle Paul or Uncle Peter stole somebody's chicken or somebody's cow, and then Grandpa got mad, and he said, don't ever talk to them again. And they don't. And sadly, we got children, families that don't know each other, and they're missing out. And I wish I could say that it's only happening out there. But sadly, you know, it's happening in our families, in God's family. And that's not God's plan. He wants us to forgive. So perhaps maybe you are that person that has to do that in your family and break those chains and forgive and restart those relationships with your family that you haven't seen for years. You know, we're coming up in a, in a day here soon where we give thanksgiving, right? We have meals, and we, but some of us are going to be alone because we don't want to talk to somebody. We don't want to forgive someone. Let this thanksgiving be one, maybe that day where you break those chains and you put into practice what God has done in your life and you forgive others. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love prospers when fault is forgiven, 
but dwelling on it separates close friends and sometimes families, right? Luke writes in Luke 17, 4, and if that person runs you seven times a day, each time you turn again and ask forgiveness, you must forgive. I know that's hard. You know, we all have someone in our family or in our lives that's done us wrong, that we don't want to forgive. I'm sharing with the first service, and I'm going to share with you, I'm going to be transparent. There have been times, and I ask God for forgiveness, <laughs> but there have been times when someone has done something that's hurt, and my prayer had been, I shouldn't even call it a prayer because it's really not a prayer, but the thought came to my mind was, God, either you take them or send them to you. That's not very Christ-like, is it? But if we're honest, sometimes those thoughts come into our minds, don't they? But we got to forgive. Even if it takes seven times. Isn't that what we do with God sometimes? We say, God, I'm sorry that I did this. And next week, you're sorry, God, I did this. Or to our spouse, honey, I'm sorry I said next week. Honey, I'm... Or our children... We must forget. I read a story about Robert E. Lee. Robert Lee says there was a lady that after the war took him over to her house, and in front of her house was this huge tree that had been damaged by a bomb or something that had been sent from the enemy. And she was showing him, hoping that he would say, you know, these guys, really, they messed up. I'm sorry they did that. And you know what he said? He said, cut the tree down and forget it. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Cut the tree down and just forget it. The more we look at it, the more we remember. And the more we remember, the less we want to forgive. God, let it go. I also heard a story of Pete Peterson. In 1960, he was appointed... And to the embassy in Vietnam. The story goes that he had served six years as a prisoner of war in, the, in that dreaded Hanoi Hilton prison camp. They said that when they asked him after his nomination, they said, how can you go back to that country where you suffer so much with all those people treating you so badly? How could you do that? And he says, it's easy. I left all those bad feelings at the door when I left that camp. Painful as it may have been, you chose to forget. And that's what we have to do sometimes. We need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive others. But you know, there is really, as Nick, Nick Gumbel puts it, especially when we're dealing with other people, he says a good apology takes three steps. First, I'm sorry. Then, it's my fault. And the third is, what can I do to make it right? But he says that most people need to remember the third time. And that's why we keep going back sometimes, right? Because we say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's my fault. But then we do it again. But if we ask the third question, what can I do to make it right? 
And sometimes the only thing we need to do to make it right is stop doing what we were doing. Makes all the difference in the world. Here are my questions for you this morning. Are you seeking God's forgiveness? Are you seeking God's forgiveness? It's a question, church. Are you seeking God's forgiveness? Amen. Second question, have you, have you forgiven yourselves? Honestly, have you forgiven yourself? And the third one, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Is there someone that maybe you need to be the one who starts the conversation and say, you know what, I'm sorry that this has happened. Maybe not your fault, but you can say, how can we make it right and move on with your life? Because once we've done those things, we can do the third thing, which is embrace God's transforming power. God's forgiveness is about erasing our sins and changing our lives. As we receive his forgiveness, let us actively seek to obey his word and become more Christ-like. But again, remember, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to be just a little bit more like Christ every day. And if we do that, we will change our lives, we will change our families, we will change our neighborhoods, we will change our schools, we will change the world. But sometimes we're waiting for others to do the changing Others to do the forgetting or forgiven. Why don't we start? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and the new life has begun. If you're a child of God, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not who you were before that. That day, there's a beginning and an end. There's a first, I mean, uh, start and an after, right? Before and after, I'm sorry. My, my English is kind of running out real quickly here. I'm going to start preaching to you in Spanish in a second. <laughs> there's a, there's a before and after. Before you, were, before you were a Christian and after you met Christ. And there has to be evidence of that. We cannot be the same. You know, I honestly believe that if you have an encounter with the true God, if you come to faith with Jesus Christ, and you ask him into your life to become your Lord and Savior, you could not be the same person you were before. It is impossible. Something has to change. And again, the change doesn't have to be dramatic. Ask God, what does he want you to change? Maybe there's nothing you need to change. Maybe there's only some things that you need to adjust in your life. You know? Because we are more like God when we are compassionate, merciful, a slow to anger, and when we forgive. And we are called to be like Christ-like. Matthew says in Matthew 14, tells us that we are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. People are looking at you, people are looking at me, they call ourselves Christians, and they're judging God by our behaviors. 
We need to represent Jesus the way he represents. He wants to be represented. We need to be more loving, more compassionate, more merciful, as well as anger and forgiving to others. And again, there's something that I appreciate about here at MBF. I have the honor to work next to Pastor Tim. And this man, is, oh, you're always going to hear him say about Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know why? It's true. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. It's to forget, it's to forget, forgotten God, right? I mean, there's three, there's the Trinity, but sometimes we just think God and that's it. You know, we got this power that is more powerful than anything in the world. And we can lean on that power because there are things in our life that we cannot do on our own. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, it can be done. If we only allow him to work in our lives, ask him. Ask him. Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Isn't that a wonderful title that we have? God's children. But sometimes we want to behave like God's cousins or friends. <laughs> so this passage from Exodus reveals the immeasurable depth of God's forgiveness, ruining his character, all encompassing his reach. As we embrace this truth of forgiveness, let us continue to seek grace by extending grace. Let us continue to seek to be more like him by coming to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you have not done that yet, I want to invite you today at the end of the service. There's going to be prayer partners at the end. I don't... You know, I, I, I'm going to be honest here. I don't like it to be like an emotional thing. I don't want to pressure anything. Get start yelling at you and pointing fingers and make you feel horrible. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I am here to tell you that that's where it starts. You need to ask God for forgiveness, confess your sins, and enter into this beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have that, that opportunity for you at the end. In doing so, we will fulfill God's call in our lives as Christians and bring glory to the one who forgave us all of our sins and whose forgiveness has no bounds. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being such a forgiving God. Thank you that you have mercy that we don't deserve towards us. It's only through that mercy that we can come to you, Lord, because you sent your son to die in our place because you loved us so much. You forgave everything, whatever bad we have done. You threw us far away as east is from the west. Lord, I ask that as there's someone in the room today who has yet to take that step, Holy Spirit, I ask you to please move in that person's heart. Lift him from the chair and bring him to one of our prayer partners so they can begin this beautiful life of forgiveness that can only come through you. Thank you for loving us undeservingly. We pray this in your name. Amen. So church, 
there's this song, there's going to be people at the end who want to pray for you. If you have not yet begun your relationship with Jesus, today is your day. Don't walk out of here feeling good or thinking about it. This is your day. What a beautiful thing would be that today you gave your life, your life to Christ and you come back tonight <laughs> enjoying the waters of baptism. We want to celebrate with you. So please, take advantage of the opportunity right now. God bless you.